Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. And joining us is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. I'm doing great. Didn't sound sincere. It super wasn't. Well, I'm, I'm catching on. Also joining us, the director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. I'm greatly doing. Oh. <laughs> That sounded very much like a Teddy Roosevelt quote, and I think we're all going to roll with it. <laughs> Joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. Uh, Glenn, you'll appreciate this. I was hanging out with somebody from Triple uh, C earlier this evening, and he said, I was watching our church service, and then there was Glenn's face, and I found myself in the middle of church telling all my kids to shut up. Because <laughs> Glenn's saying something is probably amazing. Y'all, everybody shut oh. up now. Oh, well, you know. That's, yeah, thanks for joining us there, brother. Well, I think uh, that's a good message to America's children. <laughs> Shut up. Glenn's Glenn. saying something. It's Glenn. <laughs> Everybody, stop enjoying your life and just dig what this man has to say. I think that's a great message. <laughs> if you need a convenient excuse to uh, let off some rage at your progeny, then you can check out the Triple C uh, a service from this week on Facebook, YouTube, Periscope, <laughs> uh, still Vine somehow. It's like 80 Vines long. Yeah. They're the only ones still on it, but you can find those in all the normal places and just yell at your children. You can just keep up a still of Glenn on the screen, and whenever they're annoying you, you can just yell, Shut up! Glenn's on! That's right. <laughs> I can kind of picture like uh, Mr. Rogers saying that. Hey, you kids, <laughs> shut it! <laughs> Glenn's Shut it for, for once. You're driving me crazy. <laughs> I've just had it. Glenn is on. This is important. Shut it. <laughs> Wisdom is happening. That's right. But maybe you'll learn something <laughs> and won't act like crazy people. That kind of thing. Seems good. Yep. Something to project your quarantined madness onto. The Triple C uh, video service featuring Glenn Fitzgerald, <laughs> and we uh, we're all we're all still in it. We're all you know, uh, you know we we with the the opening segment here we like to talk about the news of the of the week. If there's big doings, um, maybe if something ironically hilarious happens <laughs> in the mm. world, like we Can't would make think of anything. We would make jokes mm. about that. But really nothing going on in that vein. So I'm going to declare an emergency. What? Oh, wow. wow. It's an emergency? It is an emergency, and it's it's a conflicted emergency, I think, because, look, we're, we all have social media. We all know what has happened, and we're all dealing with those feelings of, you know, is this a bad thing to happen to this person? Absolutely. Is it kind of the result of their own actions and choices, and uh, they brought it on themselves? Sure. Is it pretty funny? Also, yes. We just don't know how to feel about it. And uh, Jed, as the person who got the Mountain Dew Doritos, yeah, yeah, how are we supposed to feel about you getting Mountain Dew Doritos? You know, uh, the the word says to rejoice with those who rejoice, and I am certainly rejoicing in oh. the indulgence that is Mountain Dew Doritos. How are you dealing with the fact that there's Frito Lay has developed some kind of machine that taps into your dreams? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
So we have to, to go back in time just a little bit. Uh, a friend of the show and long-term superfan, Miss Bridie from New Zealand. Yes. One might say the original superfan. Absolutely. Uh, had contacted me not too, too long ago and asked, are you aware that there is such a thing as Mountain Dew-flavored Doritos? And in kind of pseudo-Lord of the Rings talk, I demanded to know what this witchcraft she spoke of was. Um, because we don't have that in the United States um, because, you know, our many sins. And, but now um, Jed is subscribed to the international Doritos press releases, so he just gets them all right <laughs> to his phone. He'll never be caught in the dark again. So uh, Bridie very, very kindly sent a, a, a very unique care package, uh, unique to me, really, of Mountain Dew Doritos and pineapple lumps, which are a delicacy. Oh, uh, pineapple lumps are the best. They really are. <laughs> I feel like now that I have Mountain Dew Doritos in my life, I, I feel like a sense of peace and, and a sense of completion that was missing before. Wow. Mm. You know, it's so always a question, you know, how do I, how do I bring together my great love of Mountain Dew, but also my great love of Doritos? You know, how, how would I do both of those right. at the same time? Because normally... They're separated by the cruel mistress that is time. There's like a couple seconds between sipping Mountain Dew mm. and then being able to chew on a Dorito. And, and you know, that feels like just evidence of living in a fallen world. But now to be able to take in their essence simultaneously. Wow. What what an age we live in, gentlemen. Well, there's a there's a couple things going on here. One is the obviously the miracle of science. Yeah. That these things can be combined. The other thing is like just the fast food industry kind of clap back at yeah. like hipster flavor combinations of like, <laughs> you know, like the, like jalapeno seaweed donuts somehow yeah. or something like right. that. The, yeah. the, the fast food world is like, I see your jalapeno seaweed donut and I raise you a Mountain Dew Dorito. <laughs> <laughs> but now listen, fellas, I think it's, it's obvious that, uh, Jed is almost certainly going to be facing some sort of impending health collapse <laughs> as a result of like when they implode and... buildings in, in big cities, Glenn, and you have to maintain yeah. the, the. I, I the think block. that's that's <laughs> happening to his cells right now. Just they're collapsing in, you know, just like dust flying out from the cell because yeah. it's collapsing, and uh, you know. But it's the kind of thing where this could have been avoided if only you had heeded our warnings mm. to eat a vegetable instead. Glenn, what's a vegetable? <laughs> it like could, grows. Yeah, you, like a you, tumor? That sounds terrible. But it, it, this all this this horrible health problem that you're about to experience could have been avoided, Jack. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in a sense, I, I have brought doom upon my own head, which reminds me that I want to tell the Frito-Lay scientists who are, you know, zooming in on my dreams and whatnot. If you guys could do now Mountain Dew Code Red flavored Doritos. Wow. <laughs> I think we'd really have something. I would also settle for Mountain Dew Code Red flavored um, uh, Cheetos. That would also work. I would find that acceptable. Would it work if you like somehow got a, like a Cheerwine infused Funyun? Yes. Would that be? Oh, yeah. Yes. Well, I, I think it's interesting because I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this where 
you talk about something and then your social media ads reflect the conversation you were having. Yes. You guys experienced this before? Sure. I think this has got to be the deal where like, you know, Jed had fallen asleep one evening. Hallie is on her phone, you know, scrolling on a whatever social media app. And Jed in his sleep is just talking about "Uh, Mountain Dew, uh, uh, Doritos, uh, Mountain Dew, uh, Doritos. And then the, that data is then, you know, uh, the, the, the Frito-Lay Corporation is taking all this in, and then they're obviously monitoring Hallie's phone, and then they've created this thing in order to enslave Jed. Mm. I, for and one, welcome working. our new delicious AI overlords. I just picture Jed going out like hedonism bot from Futurama. <laughs> I apologize for nothing. <laughs> exactly right. So I, I was trying to do some Googling here on uh, the uh, the Mountain Dew flavored Doritos. Uh, turns out we we're giving Frito-Lay uh, uh, credit. They are they are a, an abomination of the hands of the Pepsi Corporation. Okay. So there is that. Oh. But I was Googling to try to find like the press release. Just like how did they justify the existence of these? I couldn't find that. But I did find something very interesting on the internet. This is an apparently an abandoned project from whatever lathe of heaven Pepsi skunk works has tapped into Jed's brain there. <laughs> mm. And I give you this headline from uh, November 2014. PepsiCo road testing Doritos flavored Mountain Dew soda in the U.S. Oh. They were trying to go the other way. Nacho cheese Doritos flavored Mountain Dew. <laughs> okay, look, everybody in the world, pull up. Uh, just because you can do a thing does not mean you should do that thing. I mean, at some point, this has just gone on way too far. Glenn. It's okay to have two separate things. <laughs> You don't have to pr- look. We have like people. We need like cures for things, and you can't you know, prove this won't cure something. We just don't know why. <laughs> Living. We need renewable energy, <laughs> and you guys are walking working night on day on like merging two food products we've, together. We've almost got it, Glenn. We've almost <laughs> got it. Like in the white coats. Here's my thing, yeah. Glenn. You know, sometimes in these segments, we like to. Uh, I don't know, poke fun at, at Christians and their misbehavior. And oh, I absolutely promise like you that uh, a Doritos-flavored Mountain Dew has happened in a megachurch middle school youth group yeah. because of a blender and a big game at some point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I thought maybe for a second you were implying that megachurches have just developed uh, beverage laboratory divisions. <laughs> I believe that. Like, come on in, Timmy, and create your own horrible, horrible soda. <laughs> this is how we're going to teach you about sin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Taste your hubris, Timmy. Taste it. <laughs> Here's what I'm saying. We've made the suggestion on this show that, you know, at the end of the, the show, um, you know, like after we're we all you know shuffle off this mortal coil, we have to pass it on and have a legacy. And and I suggested that we all take our DNA and merge it into one 
genetically enhanced giant super baby. And it's right. a super baby because it's four times normal size baby because of four DNAs. Right. And of course it would also be four times the wisdom, which is like, you know, mm-hmm. he, he's, he's a giant baby, but he's so smart. He can like, you know, like smell colors and that kind of thing. Sure. So, uh, here's what happens is, uh, it, when, when I'm talking about genetically enhanced super baby, that's a good use of science. That's, okay. that's, Im- that's important scientific work. We need that technology to be developed now. <laughs> but just smooshing two different food products together, I'm just not sure, you know what I mean? We got we to gotta rethink some of this, fellas. I, I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you over the sound of the Doritos I was eating. What was that? <laughs> yeah, it, ta- it takes an extra four hours every week to cut out every Doritos crunch from Jed's <laughs> audio track, but we do it for you, the listener. I also like the idea sure. of, you know, let's talk about the important scientific discoveries. Um, I like the idea of someone giving a very kind of tech bro Theranos pitch for how uh, cool, uh, how Mountain Dew flavored Doritos were going to change the world. This was a very right. Steve Jobs kind of self-important PowerPoint before him, you know, from the dawn of snacking. Man, <laughs> he's had a dream. <laughs> so, yeah, and that being the only story this week of a funny yeah. thing that happened about someone's health that was a, right. a result of their own bad decisions that we can make comedy out of, I think we're left with no choice but to declare emergency off. Emergency off. Emergency off. We. Of course, also uh, do bring you Bridgebox every week. That's our version of the of the laboratory Ooh. situation. We don't have a food and beverage division yet, but uh, you know, if we get enough people to sign up, we're we're perfectly willing to expand. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox if you want to check out what's going on over there for only eight dollars a month. You can of course join us also every Tuesday at seven thirty p.m. Central Time over at Facebook.com slash Chicago for our live Bridgecast. And if you can't catch us live, you can find every single one of those archived at the videos tab over at facebook.com slash the bridge Chicago. We were having a lot of fun, a lot of good and encouraging stuff happening in the chat over there on Facebook. We certainly hope you can join us. We're going to jump to our first question here. If you hang out this all the way to the end, I have some ways to get in touch with this, or you can scroll to the bottom of your episode description and click the links you find there. Our first question comes in anonymously and says, have you ever felt stuck? I've been feeling like this for a while now, like I'm barely moving on my calling. Every day has felt robotic, and I've been praying for a personal revival, but I'm still here feeling the same way I did yesterday or the week before. Am I overthinking this? And, and it's a really great question, and Glenn, I'd love to get you to start us off, because I think um, there's obviously some, some personal stuff going on in this question, but this idea of kind of stuck and nothing's moving forward, there's obviously a lot of that going around these days, right? Oh, for sure. And, and we can all relate to that. And, and no, I don't think you're overthinking that at all. I, I think, uh, you know, it, 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 it's hard when you're in the middle of a situation to somehow stand outside it and, and reflect on it and make sense of it. So, uh, there's only so much we can really, you know, work out and understand about all that. But I think if you were, if you want a revival, personal revival, as you put it, um, that's a good thing to want, and we want that for you. Uh, but that starts with humility and service. That's that's how revival happens. Re- revival happens when 
a person says, I am a sinner and I know it and I own that. And I also realize and, and celebrate that I am saved by a perfect God who loves me. And that makes me thankful. And then I want to serve. So humility is the beginning of that and service is the end of that. But if you've got that uh, in mind, that sparks revival. That is you getting out, serving others. Those people uh, are lifted up by that, and then they go out and they do the same for others, and that's there's, there's your revival. A revival does not start with positive emotions. It does not uh, begin with a bunch of people in a room feeling strong emotions. That's usually what Christians think revival is. And in no way is that revival. That's a recipe for something that lasts about an afternoon. So um, uh, humbling yourself and serving others will will do that job. Uh, but you you mentioned this idea of you know uh, stuck and you're barely moving forward in in your calling. So let's look at that because uh, that you know there, if we're talking about humility and service, that would go together with this idea of calling. So. Let's look at it this way. I want you to imagine two people in your mind. One person goes to God and says, God, I dedicate my whole life to you. Everything about my life, every, all my hopes and dreams and wishes and plans, I dedicate everything to you uh, in my whole life. Uh, now, picture a second person goes to God and says, God, I give you today everything. I I I want to do exactly what you want me to do today. And then I want you to run sort of a thought experiment in your mind of which of these two people ends up living a more righteous life or or maybe more to the point uh lives a life that God is calling them to specifically you know as opposed to you know any generic person. I think what you're going to find is the person who dedicates today is going to do much, much better. Uh, If you dedicate your whole life to God, you find out, first of all, you can't do that because, you know, uh, there's a lot of stuff in your life that, uh, that needs work and you don't know that it needs work. So you can't really give it to God yet because you don't know that it's, uh, it exists and needs work. Uh, also, you can't give your whole life to God all at once. You can only give him today. So if you give him today, then that's about as, as righteous as you can get. But if you give God today um, and let him call shots over today, uh, you're able to, to build towards something long-term because he will set that up to happen but it's also a smaller unit. It's easier to to deal with and focus on. It's easier to get right, obviously. Uh, uh, so I think just dedicating your life to God exactly one day at a time, uh, it will end up being uh, more righteous, more uh, you know, right on top of your calling. But that requires two uh, a big shift in thinking. I think a lot of Christians think I want to have an epic saga. It'll have a beginning and a middle and an end. And there, years of turmoil, chapter three, and it's you know, there's a whole um, a, a story arc that they're trying to live out, which is crazy and insane. That's not how life works. 
But how would that be different if you just thought one day at a time? Everything would be a series of episodes. So it's you know it's not the the three hour uh, uh, movie with a lots of CGI. It's uh, like episodes like a TV show or something where it's, every day is something different and something mm. new and different uh, uh, adventure and so forth. I think if you live that series of episodes that that one day at a time and fully dedicating today to the Lord, you're going to have at the end of your life a collection, a vast collection of really amazing moments. And uh, the life that you want to have, the life that God wants for you, uh, you is to get to the end and say, I've had so many amazing moments. They were mm. short, they were fleeting, they were small, but that's part of what made them amazing. You know, me and my friend, we sat on the mountaintop and watched the sun go down. We talked about life. And it was a perfect moment, and I'll remember it for the rest of my life, and it changed a lot of things later, all those kinds of things. Uh, if If you want a recipe for a life that you will love, that God will be pleased with, it's a life of collecting those amazing moments, and you can seize that moment right now today. It's a wonderful, wonderful place to start us off there. Lee, I'd love to get you to pick us up here. I think one of the things that Glenn is 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 pointing to there is that stuff is always kind of happening. This person that talks about feeling feeling stuck at a dead stop, which is certainly something we can we can all uh, sympathize with, but that's rarely, rarely a thing that's happening. So. How do we go about dealing with this perception of what's actually going on versus this overall feeling of stuckness? Yeah, that's that's a good setup. And and I loved the places that Glenn took this. I, I especially I really identified that thing he said of like, you know, when you're in the middle of something difficult, it's it's hard to to kind of step outside of yourself and look at the situation that you're in. Um, I, I know that for me, especially during the current crisis. I've had a lot of moments of feeling like, of just feeling like kind of, uh, like if I could kind of break the fourth wall and stare into a camera and say, this is not what I want to be doing. World, universe, this is not where I want to be. This is not, this is not, I, I want my old life back. I want my old ministry back. I want my old, uh, you know, interactions back. And and for me, the way that's kind of spun out is I start with a tantrum, and then I I go into kind of self pity from that, and then I enter then I enter kind of a lethargic blase sadness, <laughs> and that feels like a cycle that kind of repeats itself, of like I I'm mad about this, and then I feel sorry for myself, and then I'm just kind of sad, and then. There's there are points when I'm able to kind of step out of that, and this is hard, just like Glenn was saying. There are moments when I'm able to kind of step out of that and look at it. And in those moments, I've been able to kind of um, ask myself a question. This is a question I would encourage you to ask yourself, which is, is there anything—this is not where I want to be right now. I feel stuck. But is there anything that I'm experiencing or doing or learning that is some kind of piece— that could be part of the piece of the puzzle, you know, it could be a, a puzzle piece for later on. Um, something that, that God might be able to use later on. Um, I know for, for me in particular, this season has caused me to, to do things that I, n- I never had any energy or time or the resources to do. And I was forced into a place where I had to learn a lot of new things. 
um, I, I know for for a fact that that's like some of the things that I've had to learn are things that like Matt has had to learn too. Um, it just because of what's been going on with the bridge, a lot of that we've both kind of learned from Jed. Jed already knew how to do all of it. But um, one of the interesting things has been that like you watch it, you know, like for me, uh, who I, I've known, like Matt and I have been close for a lot of years at this point. And like, there's a lot of, you know, Matt's a really, just really witty, funny, smart guy. And then once he got some like video editing skills, and also if you don't know this about Matt, he has like a bottomless knowledge of like 80s and 90s pop trivia and like TV comedy. I don't even know. How, how do you know some of the stuff you know? I spent my childhood indoors. <laughs> well, in any case, uh, so as a result of that, he's been able to do these like, like, you know, he's, he's got the things that God gave him. And then he's got these new kind of video editing skills. And it's not maybe the ministry that he wanted to do eight months ago, um, but it's the thing he's been forced to learn. As a result of that, he makes these amazing like pitch commercials for the bridge live. And it's like, it's, it's like one of the, the highlights of the week is like, what's the new cool thing Matt's going to come up with this week? And like, and who knows what the Lord is going to do with that later. What he's doing with that now is he's, he's making it like, it's an appealing thing. I want to tune in on Tuesday and I want to find out what Matt's going to sell us on. I'll tell you this, as somebody that has built a lot of ministry teams around a lot of different ministries or been a, around a lot of different teams, and I know that my, the other brothers on this podcast feel the same way, especially Glenn. What I value highly in a ministry team is somebody that brings something into that team that I don't personally have. Yeah. Like somebody that has some little skill or some perspective or some way of seeing the world or some cool little talent that it's something that I don't have. And so we're able to add this wrinkle into this ministry that I never would have been brought, would have been able to bring to it if it were just me. But because we're on this team and because the Lord developed that in that person's life, adding all these pieces together, like ingredients in a chocolate chip cookie. And at just the right temperature, at just the right time, at just the right measurements, we make the coolest team, you know? And so I, I really value that. And I, I lay all that out to say this. When I break myself out of the cycle of, I hate this, I feel sorry for myself, and I feel sad. When I'm, when I'm able to rise above that, I'm, I'm able to look at my situation and say, but I think the Lord is doing some things in me, giving me some new skill sets, giving me some new perspectives that I'm almost certain he's going to use in different ministry scenarios later on. I don't know what those are going to be. I don't know how that's going to roll out. But I know, even now, that I really value those team members who bring some different little wrinkle to the ball game um, that I wouldn't have been able to bring. And now the Lord may be developing something in you that he's going to bring into some team, into some ministry, into some moment later on. And I can tell you that when you have, like, if you're, if you're around folks that are like uh, these guys, uh, like the, the organization that, that Glenn's built, or the, the, ty the type of teams that we try to run, those, those little wrinkles, those little things that the Lord is developing right now in the midst of this bizarre world scenario are the things that are going to make <laughs> they're going to make something happen that like nobody saw that coming. Like this ministry is so much cooler because that thing got developed in you in some moment. So I, I say all that whole messy thing to say this, I get the stuck feeling. I get the cycle of, 
of like, I hate this and temper tantrums and self-pity and all of that stuff. When you have a moment of clarity, when, able, when you're able to rise above that, ask the Lord this question, what is the little wrinkle or the little skill or the little perspective that you're adding to, to my color palette, to my, to my repertoire that I'm going to be able to bring into ministry teams for the rest of my life that's going to be new, that's going to be cutting edge, that's going to be cool? Because I guarantee you, you're learning some stuff and you're honing some skills that Jesus is going to use as you serve him later on. That is all wonderful stuff, especially the nice things that were said about me. I enjoyed those parts the most. Uh, but also a lot of great points in there. And Jed, I'd love you to pick us up there because I think Lee did a, an amazing job getting at how, why you're not stuck, essentially. Sure. There's, and if you, if you are actually stuck, you can get unstuck maybe a little bit quicker than you would think. Sure. But that still won't necessarily take care of the feeling of being stuck. Absolutely. Because as Lee points out, it's true for all four of us. We're doing lots and lots of stuff and lots and lots of ministry and developing and moving. And it still kind of feels like being stuck in quicksand a lot of times because that's just the world where we are. So how do we deal with the different thoughts on those? If Even if I acknowledge that I'm not stuck and there are things I can do, what, what do I do with that feeling that still remains? That's a great question. I think we do want to start by acknowledging very clearly that feeling stuck and being stuck are not the same thing. Mm. Um, that in fact, you can absolutely have one without the other. And it's, it's worth kind of working through that for a second, because one of those arrangements, um, I think we can more readily imagine, you know, so the idea of someone who, who isn't stuck, but they kind of feel like they are, and, you know, they just need to kind of keep at it. The truth is there's a lot of people out there who are massively stuck and don't feel that way. Um, yeah. uh, like a lot, a lot of people. So it's, it's worth recognizing, uh, that both that all, all the variations are possible. You can, you can be totally free and know you are, you can be totally stuck and know you are, and you can have both versions in between. Um, and I think it's, it's important to try and take stock of where you're at and, uh, what you're dealing with. Um, it, it's worth noting, if you want to know if you are truly stuck, now, in general, freedom or stuckness, which is not a word, um, exists in... Stuckitude, or, I believe. Stuckitude. Exactly right. <laughs> if we're trying to analyze our freedom versus our stuckitude, uh, that's really going to be in arenas. I don't know that there's anybody who is completely free in every arena of their life or someone who's completely stuck in every arena of their life. I, that's pretty rare. So, you know, For most of us, that's more category by category, but, um, I would offer that if you want to know if you're stuck in an area of your life, that often is going to revolve around, uh, things you've decided must be true and can't be questioned and, or things that you need. And a really, really good example that tends to combine both of those is if you need a certain person uh, maybe like your parents, for example, to approve of your decisions, mm. then you are stuck. In that area of your life or in those areas of your life, you are stuck 100%. You may not feel that way. You you may feel like life is exactly where it should be and as it should be. Um, but um, if you need these other people to approve of you, you, you are stuck. So again, whenever we're trying to figure out our degree of stuckitude, a great place to begin is asking, what are the things that I am almost, I'm insisting must be true and I'm kind of afraid of a world where they're not. 
And what are the things that I've decided that I need, that I must have, and I kind of can't live in a world where I don't have those things? In those arenas, we are probably verging towards being stuck, whether we feel that way or not. But at the same time, it's easy to get into a place of having some things in our life where at least for now they are fairly fixed and keeping that, that keeping us from seeing all the freedom that we actually do have. You know, when you work with folks behind bars, there are areas of their lives where they are definitely stuck. And for some period of time, could be a couple months, could be a very long bunch of years, they, that will continue to not be free. But you have, even in those really dire circumstances, you still have a lot of freedom in your life. Um, you have choice in certain aspects of how you spend your time, uh, certain aspects of who you spend your time with. You always have massive control over your attitude and your outlook and your worldview, the way that you choose to, to look at the world. So I think another kind of area of examination for us is if I'm feeling stuck, can I be a little bit more precise about the areas in which I feel stuck? Um, cause I may actually be there, there may be some hard limitations, but are those feelings, are those keeping me from seeing the areas, uh, where I'm free? Are those feelings keeping me from being aware of those areas where I do have a choice and I do have the capacity to move forward and make changes and do the things that I want to do. And then the one last thing that I would add is that. Not all the time, but I think it's a really, really good principle to look at is to ask, is there one courageous choice that would get me into a place of being much less stuck in my life? Wow. Yeah. Is there one courageous choice that would really get me a heck of a lot of freedom? There isn't always. It's not that this would always be true. But, for example, a lot of folks in not super great, not super healthy romantic relationships are one hard conversation, maybe one breakup, but one courageous thing away from a heck of a lot more freedom in their lives. Um, that's not to say it would be fun. That's not to say it would be comfortable, but they are, they are close to, they're much closer to something good than they might think they are. So I, I would also add that in the mix when you're trying to figure out those feelings is how close am I to something uh, where courage is required, but there's something really great on the other side. That's all wonderful, Amen. all wonderful stuff. Really, really fantastic. We're going to move on to our next question here. It comes in anonymously and it says, sometimes after Jesus heals someone, he tells them not to tell anyone. For example, Mark 144. I was always taught we were supposed to like testify to what Jesus has done for us. Why did he tell some people to keep it a secret? And I think a very, very interesting question. And Lee, where do we start off with this? Um, I'm going to start off in a kind of an uncomfortable place, which is, I don't know. I don't know why Jesus said that. Um, I, I would... I do want to take this a certain place, but I do want to just start out by saying, I don't really know the answer to that. I don't know if anybody does. Um, I've heard a lot of great theological uh, arguments about why that may be the case. And maybe one of these other brothers will dive into that about kind of the timeline of Jesus's ministry, him saying my hour has not yet come and stuff like that. And all that stuff seems really reasonable. Uh, but there's been an idea that's been kind of developing in my experience that I think is related to this question. I'm so glad you brought it up because I feel like this is something that needs to be talked about, which is just this. Um, Christian storytelling is not all it's cracked up to be. And what I mean by that is that Christians tend to tell stories 
in a real simplistic Disney kind of style. Like, this person's life was terrible. Everything was horrible. They hated everything. Uh, then they gave their life to Jesus, and it was happily ever after. At some stage, we've all heard versions of this story, and um, and it's the, there's a, a few problems with storytelling like that. Um, one is it's so reductive that it bears little, uh, it, it just bears little resemblance to the truth of anybody's experience. Um, so one, it's just almost never true. Um, two, it doesn't, it, that kind of storytelling doesn't usually include room for challenges, setbacks, the messy stuff. Like, you know, it's, it's very often that, that when you get to know somebody's story really, really well, you'll find somebody who overcame like a huge uh, problem or challenge in their life but they had like six other things that were really, really messy that they like never resolved. Um, you know, maybe they overcame an addiction, but they never had like any kind of resolution in their marriage. They're, they they lost the marriage or something like that. And sometimes Christian storytelling tends to skip over certain details in order to tell a story that looks like this. First, it was a mess. Then Jesus entered the picture and then bam, everything was amazing. Um, I don't know if that's, if that kind of a thing is why Jesus would say, hey, don't tell anybody about this. But I think that that, that warning from the Lord may be instructive to some people who kind of can sometimes tend to tell reductive stories. Um, this is a messy, confusing, broken, fallen world. And sometimes people leave it. Even people that know Jesus and walk with him and, and love him dearly leave it with their life still a mess. One of my best friends in the world um, was raised by a dad who loved Jesus, who just had a really messy story, just a really messy life. There's, there's no way to tell it where anybody would be like, wow, that's, am- <laughs> that's <laughs> amazing. Everybody would be like, wow, that dude was kind of a wreck. And yet, like, if you met this dude at all, one thing that you could say is, Man, that guy's life may be a total dumpster fire, but that dude loves Jesus like nobody's been. I mean, he just adores Jesus Christ. Like, he loves him. Now, the rest of it, he, I mean, it's a mess. It's a mess in every direction. It's ugly. But sometimes in, in Christian culture, we don't have a place for a life like that. And so sometimes I wonder if Jesus is at work in somebody's life and he's like, hey, I don't want anybody here to go spreading this around. I'm doing something. It's going to take time. I've got a lot of patience for that process. Uh, Usually other people don't have a lot of patience. They want to see everything buttoned up right now. And sometimes that kind of Christian storytelling sets the expectation that if I do this thing for Jesus, then my life is going to be all buttoned up in joy and roses and butterflies. And when that doesn't happen, it causes a lot of disillusionment. And so I don't know if that's a really uh, rounded answer to your question, but it's something that's been kind of uh, banging around in my head lately of like, uh, we need to be careful about the way that we relate stories of God being at work in people's lives. God is at work, but he's not always at work in a way that gives us a satisfaction about everything is fine. And that's okay. Jesus has, is on a different timeline than us. He has a lot of patience. He's working slowly. 
He's working a little bit at a time. You've heard us talk on this podcast a lot about you can kind of work on one thing in your life at a time, but that's not always the way storytelling works. And so that may be a piece of Jesus giving us a warning about how we tell the stories of God being at work. I think that's a really, really interesting uh, answer to this question, a really cool place to start off. And Jed, I'd love you to pick us up here because I think Lee is really tapping into something interesting there, which is uh, some version of the observer effect, which is just the the concept that by observing something, and as Lee's talking about here, by trying to turn something into a narrative, into a story, you have it you fundamentally alter it in some way. Um, that's why they do like double blind uh, studies in science where people don't know what they're being watched for. So they can't uh, tweak their behavior in the way they think they should. So if we take that away from the story idea and just put it on the actual interaction Jesus has with someone, how does that idea leaves introducing us to maybe play into that? Well, I think in, in actual real life, at least in my experience, I think the vast majority of deep relationships have dynamics in them that wouldn't make sense to other people mm. that just wouldn't just wouldn't track to people outside of that relationship. That's not to say that there's anything bad going on or anything wrong going on, anything hinky going on. It's just every relationship, particularly every deep relationship is unique. It just it it has things in it that are only for those people. It, a good way to think about it is if you think about you and you know some of your best closest friends. I bet that you have lingo that you use that kind of comes from inside jokes and shared yeah. experiences that other people just wouldn't get. Yeah, um, I know I certainly do, um, and that's a cool thing. It's one of the the great rewards of relational intimacy is that you grow to a point where you you have those shared touch points that literally uh, nobody else would get. And it's not that you're trying to exclude other people or you know uh, kick anybody out. It's just you if you weren't there, you wouldn't get it. Uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't mean anything to you. I mean, I think I hope that most people have experienced that. And the truth, of course, is that your relationship with God should have some of that itself, that there should be things in your relationship with God that are just for you and God. It's not that there's something wrong with it. It's not that there's something um, extra biblical about it. It's just if you weren't there, you wouldn't get it. And the only two people who were there and talking about it were me and God. Yeah, so That's awesome. um, it, it's just it's just the two of us. We can make it if we try. I, I think the the one other thing that is probably a dynamic in this story that is a dynamic in just normal human life and in our walk with gods is this. Um, I've had a life where I've experienced a lot of mercy. Um, I've experienced it from God. I've also experienced a lot of mercy from other people. And I have pretty regularly had people sometimes literally uh, say these words, sometimes strongly infer them. Hey, if you could do me a favor and not advertise the fact that I am massively hooking you up, um, that would make everything simpler because I am massively hooking you up. But like if we could not broadcast that, that would be for the best. Um, I've experienced that a lot in my life. And again, that doesn't mean there's anything bad going on. That doesn't mean that there's anything wrong going on. But what it does suggest is that sometimes when you show a person a great deal of mercy, if everybody else knows about it, it kind of complicates things for that person. Mm -hmm. That's that's actually true. Again, that's uh, that doesn't we're not even looking at the spiritual side of things just yet. That's just 
um, humanity. I mean, and a, a really easy, obvious example is if your car needs repair and your mechanic cuts you a massive break because he knows it's a tough season and it's, you know, basically doing work at cost. If you go and make all of his other customers aware that he did that, that just causes him a problem. Yeah. Um, you know, you might think, well, it's great advertising. Everybody want to work with him, but that's, that's not actually how it works out. Um, I think that that does carry over or certainly can and has in my life into the spiritual world where there are moments where God has shown me a great deal of kindness where I think going around and bragging about that kindness I was shown might not be the best idea in the world. Um, It's not because I'm ashamed of my savior and it's not because anything bad's going on. It's just, um, you know, I wasn't sure if I was going to make rent and then a hundred dollars came in at the last minute, which is great for me. But if I brag about it, what does that mean to all the people for whom a hundred dollars didn't come in at the last minute and their life still super duper sucks. Um, you know, I, I think if we think it through, we can see some pretty straightforward practical ways where this would make sense. But all that goes back to the idea of relationships have stuff internal to them that makes sense only to those participants. And your relationship with God should have that quality as well. That's an excellent point. A really, really cool place to take this discussion. And Glenn, where would we close this question out? Well, I I, uh, 100% agree with everything these fellows are saying. Uh, I agree with Lee. Uh, I don't know why Jesus does what he does. Uh, That's, that's way beyond me. Uh, So uh, I, I I don't, uh, my belief is not based on uh, only the things that make sense to me, Mm. uh, because that there's a lot that doesn't make sense to me until later. And so I think the word for that is faith. But um, here's the thing. I wanted to zoom in, though, on uh, aren't we supposed to testify to what Jesus has done for us? Here's the thing, um, get, you know, talking about what God has done in your life in certain specific kind of ways can be a lovely, lovely thing, uh, particularly if it is extremely strongly based in humility. Uh, I did this dumb thing because I was not being smart, and it caused a lot of problems, and then the Lord came in and helped me out. That's, you know, that's something. As, as Jez is pointing out, if it's, I had a sick foot and I prayed and my foot got better, well, how's everybody going to feel that, you know, still has a messed up foot? So, you know, it, it just doesn't work that way for those people. The point of the first story is humble yourself uh, and God will lift you up in that c- circumstance. The point of the second story about the foot is just yay me. <laughs> and uh, nobody wants to hear that story. Um, uh, I don't know why I have to explain the difference between those two things, but apparently it's not obvious to everybody, so let's take some time to explore that, because here's what I'm saying. Nobody is going to believe anything based on your experience. They're going to believe based on their experience. Mm. So it's important for me to say if I humble my, you know, that I had problems, I had struggles, I had tough circumstances, I had grief, I had pain, and I went to the Lord and it was better for me, uh, because then I'm saying I had an experience. I think if you try it, you'll have that experience, and when you have that experience, you will come to believe. 
that's different from saying, God helped me, therefore you should believe it. It does not work that way. Uh, It's, you know, if you're saying, uh, you know, uh, taste and see that the Lord is good, here here are some uh, Doritos that are, uh, you know, a a product of uh, witchcraft and voodoo, and they give that a try for themselves, they will have their own experience with it. They're not believing, based on your experience, that something is great. They, they, they have to experience it for themselves. So I think we have to understand the, the, the extreme limitations of our testimony. I think it's also important to recognize there are some, there are some parts of your spiritual life that are meant to be private. Uh, 100% between you and the Lord. And I think you need to understand that. You need to explore that. You need to get a sense of it. Because here's the thing, inviting commentary from clues people is not good for your life. If you happen to be sitting in front of a screen that has social media open right now, let me repeat, inviting commentary from clues people is not a good thing. Uh, because here's the problem that we're trying to address in all this, and I think I think it's what Jesus was trying to address as well, which is if you live your spiritual life by consensus, if, if you're trying to get a vote from everyone around you of, hey, should I believe this thing? This thing happened. What do you think about it? Should I believe it? If that's how you go about your spiritual life, you need to get ready for chaos uh, weirdness, confusion. I mean, it's not going to go well. Uh, your belief needs to be based on your experience and your journey with the Lord. And there's a, a point where everybody else needs to be not only out of the picture, but not even in the loop of what's going on there uh, in terms of every last little detail. There's some things the Lord tells you that are just for you. And it's based on your particular circumstance, your particular situation. And those are precious things. Those are beautiful things. And like things, anything else that's precious and beautiful, it's meant to be kept in a certain way. And I hope that you you have those things already that you have experienced just you and the Lord that you keep in your heart, that you treasure in your heart. Uh, because that's where your walk really has a life that's unique and good and personal to you. That is all wonderful stuff from these guys. I will, I will tack on one small thing at the end here, which is a, uh, a just a hilarious note from the Bible. And it, it's a, an additional layer to the, this fun thing. The, the example you mentioned in Mark one, Jesus tells the man he healed of leprosy, see that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. And then, very next verse, instead, he, the man, went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. Mm. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Now here's, this doesn't, uh, the, the one important thing to add at the end of this is, he doesn't give him the leprosy back. <laughs> right. <laughs> he heals him, he says, this is very important, there's only one thing I need you to do, please. Relapse. This is going to help the movement of the kingdom of God, and you're already telling people. Uh, so all this stuff these, these guys said is very true, but as in all things, uh, we're going to screw that up in some ways, and a very good uh, 
a very good kind of mini lesson in this is that uh, the blessings and the good stuff is not contingent on you always doing the right thing after you get it any more than your behavior beforehand earned it for you. And that's an incredibly cool thing. We're going to move on to our final question here. It came in anonymously and it says, what are some things God has been teaching you guys during COVID? I'm struggling to find some positive lessons from this whole time. Andy, a very cool question. And Jed, where would we kick it off? Well, I think the the number one thing God has been certainly reminding me of during COVID is that you can't go hard forever. Yep. Yeah. Wow. And uh, that is not a lesson that I want to learn, uh, and it is not a lesson that I am good at internalizing. But I have, I have definitely been reminded of it. And and actually, you know what? I think that that it's worth diving in just a little bit to some of the nuances on that, because I think one of the things that Americans struggle with in general and that American Christians struggle with is we want things in life to be either all good or all bad. Um, This is either a thing that is always good in all circumstances and all seasons, or it is always bad in all circumstances and all seasons. We really don't like nuance. We really don't like subtlety. We, We really don't like what the book of Ecclesiastes says, where it says that there is a time and a season for every purpose. There is, you know, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to do this, time to do that. And so the idea of I'm going to be really focused and I'm going to be, you know, really present and I'm just going to, I'm going to be productive like you wouldn't even believe. There actually is a time for that in life. That's, that's not an inherently bad thing, but it can't be all the time. It can't be 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And um, for me, it I I have been reminded because uh, both the, the workload's been pretty high and um, <laughs> without getting into too much detail, um, we've had a lot of problems with our housing situation over the last year, a, a comical number of problems. So uh, there has definitely been a temptation for me to just say, well, what all I got to do is spend like a good six, seven months in massive hardcore mode. And then we'll get to the other side and everything will be great. Um, and there may be people who can do that, but uh, I certainly can't. Uh, I, I cannot go hard forever, which means I need to rest, uh, which I'm not super good at. I need to um, trust God to carry things instead of me trying to carry them, which I'm not super good at. And I, I also need to remember that Although going hard can occasionally be the right move and and occasionally has good applications, the one thing it doesn't do is it doesn't speed up the clock. Mm. It actually doesn't make time go any faster. Um, And I think that whenever we get into a situation where we're trying to misuse something, um, we we need to to really hit pause. If, If what I'm saying, so in other words, being hardworking and really focused there are applications where that's appropriate, but if what you're saying is, I really hate this period, I just want it to be over faster, the hard work can't do that. Um, so if we're going to try and use that, you know, as as a crutch or a kludge, well, now we're just misusing something. Well, that's a terrible idea. It 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 won't work, and we're going to burn ourselves out. So for me, just that reminder of you you can't go hard forever. You're not meant to go hard forever. Um, you know. Let the Lord show you, you know, what he needs you to do in this season. Let him take care of the rest of it has, has certainly been an ongoing lesson. And a very good lesson for the whole, a lot of us. And uh, Glenn, what would you add to this? Well, I, 
like you, I, I have learned a lot of things uh, through this, a whole lot. Uh, but it's important before I tell you the, the stuff that I've learned uh, or maybe had reinforced to me that, that I needed to know on a deeper level. It's important to know that I've mostly just been pitching fits and hating it. <laughs> uh, so I, I don't want to skip over that and say, well, let me tell you the deep lessons I've learned. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like I'm not struggling with stuff. Uh, certainly I, I've, I've had my, uh, you know, times of real, uh, struggle and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, let's, let's start with this, but I also want to give you things where this is stuff that you would learn in any kind of hard time, sort of the, the way that a judge stuff is sort of universally applicable when we go through hard stuff. Here's the first thing I learned is I am not the fixer of everything. Uh, I, first of all, I'm, I, I will not be fixing everything. Uh, also I don't have the power to do it. Also, I'm not smart enough to fix everything. That's the painful admission. Uh, but I find myself uh, looking at the news and saying, you know what I would do if I was in charge. And, uh, you know, as, as uh, Lee pointed out uh, recently, uh, this process of uh, sort of a prideful process really of trying to be expert at everything ends up putting a lot of pressure on ourselves and it ends up kind of creating a lot of unhappiness because we end up just saying, I tell you what I would do. And then that either doesn't work out or nobody does it. And so you just are sitting with this, you know, solution, no one's going to whatever, but the problem that I'm, identifying within myself is I'm reading the news with the idea way back in the back of my head of, I have to fix everything that's on this news. Uh, if, if I was absolutely certain it was someone else's job to fix it and that they were working on it and something was going to happen, or the Lord was aware of the situation and he was going to do something to handle it, then I would look at the news with a lot less stress. Uh, I have to recognize what is it, Lord, that you are looking for me to fix, and I need to put 100% of my attention and focus on fixing that. Uh, and as these fellows are pointing, or have pointed out, will be pointing out, some of that is self-care and rest, as Jed was talking about. Some of that is there's a friend that is going through a hard time, and they've put on a brave face, and you don't know that they're struggling, but the Lord's putting a, a squeeze in your heart every time you think about them figure out something and go big with it. You know, just give this person a whole lot of love and care and concern. Uh, so it's not about you being the fixer of everything. It's about you asking, Lord, what do you want from me? Like we talked about on the other uh, question, what do you want me to do today? Uh, the second thing I've uh, you know learned or sort of relearned is that circumstances will never give me happiness, ever. Uh, I'd say, well, you know, if I won a million dollars on the lottery, I'd be happy. If if I was a foot taller and 100 pounds lighter, I'd be happy. Whatever it is, you know, we we invent all these circumstances under which we would be happy. And I am 100% fully convinced that whatever those circumstances you're thinking of that would make you happy, if you had those circumstances, I'm absolutely convinced you would not be happy. 
because uh, you're either a person who draws happiness uh, from uh, the the your own character and your own relationship with God and receives the joy that he gives you and puts that into place, or you are constantly looking at the circumstances and saying, well, the circumstances won't let me be happy, but when the circumstances work out, I'll be happy. Uh, and the, here's the thing, it's always something. Uh, it Sometimes it's big, sometimes it's not so big, but the circumstances will not give you permission to have joy. You have to grab that and steal it for yourself. You have to take it. You have to demand it. You have to declare it uh, in order to be in that place. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, deciding to think very differently about the circumstances is always key. I say that like it's easy. It's incredibly hard. I've had to learn that over and over and over again, and I struggle with it. Final point, uh, God is in the eye of the storm. Uh, you've heard about like an, an eye of a hurricane. It's a real thing. If you get into the eye, of, I've, I've been in hurricanes. I grew up in Texas. The eye of the storm is at, there's no wind and you can go outside and look straight up to blue sky. It's insane. And then the, the wall of that hurricane hits you again and you're, you're just convinced you're all going to die and blow away in the wind. Here's the thing is uh, God, it stirs up. Uh, things around you constantly. Uh, that's part of how he gets people ready to receive the awesome things that you are putting into their life. And so there's always going to be turmoil going on around me, but if I'm racing ahead of the eye of that storm and, and going into the face of that, or if I'm not moving, I'm just sitting still, that storm's going to overtake me. I need to uh, I need to move with God so that I can avoid those uh, being subject to the storm, but I need to recognize if it's all raging around me and I'm not subject to it, that's that's exactly where I want to be. I, I don't want to be in a place, and, and, and a place does not exist where there isn't anything ever going on with anyone ever, and all the circumstances are great, and I feel happy. That's all excellent stuff as well. And Lee, where do we close this out? Um, I... I I think for me, one of the things that I've learned during this time is that I, I'm a whole lot more like a little kid who didn't get his way than I mm. thought I was. Um, I, I think there was a there was kind of a pre-COVID routine that I'd gotten into in my life where I had certain kind of I had certain uh, schedules and expectations set up um, with a, with the kind of rhythm and the kind of results that they started to kind of help me define who I was and feel good about myself. And like, Hey, this is, this is who I am and this is what I'm worth. And I get these kinds of results or these kinds of things happen. And that kind of tells me, uh, how, how valuable I am or whatever. And then like within, you know, two or three weeks, all of those things were stripped away. All of those things came to a grinding halt. The complete and total nature of my work totally changed. Um, I had to learn all kinds of new things, like we were talking about at the top of the show, and um, and and I and I just got to a place where I was like, I, I really don't know who I am right now, um, and I don't I don't have the kind of things in place where I can evaluate or measure my um, my existence in the same way as I have done for the last several years, and um, 
that's driven me. And, and, and I have to say, I, I, I completely agree with the thing that Glenn started his answer on with like, uh, that has not led to me, uh, kind of like, um, getting to a place of Zen enlightenment really easily. <laughs> yeah. It mainly has led to a lot of, uh, you know, really, really frustrating, you know, some unhealthy, uh, habits. I, I was talking to my wife the other day and just said, like, I, my eating over the, the, through COVID, it's just been like a, it's like an example of a thing that's happening. And it's like, it's like a visible expression of a thing that's happening inside me, which is I am not doing well, (laughs) you know, and I'll have, I'll have like these swings where I'm like, oh, I'm, 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 I've had a, a week where I, 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 I did a little better. I ate a piece of fruit. You know, and then these other weeks where I'm like, lay off me, I'm starving, you know, and it's just <laughs> right. like just a total, total disaster. And so uh, this is not uh, don't hear me saying that I've like uh, reached some kind of uh, enlightenment, but I, I have been forced in that and kind of the squeezing of that thing um, to face and and try to kind of to work on believing a little bit better, this this really beautiful verse that comes out of Jeremiah chapter 31. It's Jeremiah 31, 3, where the Lord says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Um, that verse has been a really comforting thing to me. I, I don't know if you ever think about this, but we, we tend to think of the word everlasting as being something that goes from this point forward into eternity. But everlasting doesn't just go from this point forward into eternity. It actually goes actually back into eternity as well. And the thing that's given me comfort in this is that in a season where I have felt a a tumultuous upheaval in my own ability to measure my own worth and value based on everything changing <laughs> and all of my routines and expectations and stuff being flipped on their head, um, to have the God of the universe say, I loved you before you did anything cool. I loved you before anybody knew you. I loved you before anybody uh, clapped for you. I loved you before anybody rejected you. My love for you is going to go forward into eternity, but it also goes back into eternity. It's older than COVID. It's older than all your successes. It's, it's going to outlast all of the praise that you receive from people. It's going to la- outlast all the rejection that you've received from people. It also predates all of the praise and the rejection. The, the, the word from the Lord to me has been, I, I love you eternally in both directions, forward and back. And the thing that has been, uh, it's been a difficult but a deep thing for me is, is uh, finding a place where I believe that so that I'm not measuring myself on um, deliverables. I'm not measuring myself on results. I'm not measuring myself on ministry output and stuff like that. I'm trying to find the place where I accept radically the everlasting forward and back uh, love of God for me. All beautifully put by all these guys. A lot of very cool stuff there. I learned some things during COVID too. And if you'd like to hear what those are, you can tune into the Water Tower podcast, episode hey, 43, yes, where I share a story of almost losing my complete mind in a Target because <laughs> I had just had enough. And what that experience taught me, it's a very special episode. Thank God for our episode. wives. 
Yeah, that's a very special. A lot of very cool stuff. You want to check out the Water Tower podcast. Always a lot of good stuff here. Everybody in this show show up on that. If you have a question for us, you can write into say that podcast at gmail.com or the bridge chicago.tumblr.com if you want to keep that totally anonymous. You can, of course, join us every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Central Time over at Facebook.com slash The Bridge Chicago for our Bridge Live cast. We're going to take out the song this week. Uh, it's been the it's been the topic of the week. It's been the topic for a long time. We've been talking about waiting. We're going to take out the Jed worship song from Live from the Bridge called Help Me to Wait. Yeah. Yeah, that, thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Let's say that podcast, because we care, we ingest unholy food abominations so you don't have to. (laughs) Help me to wait And not to fall Help me to stay While you make me strong Until the day That I'm ready Lord, to receive What you have for me, help me to wait Y'all sing this with me, God you tell me God you tell me there's a purpose That you've written for my life And you tell me that it's perfect When it's your will and your time But I am living in between and the gift and it's hard to keep on trusting so Lord I'm asking this help me to wait and not to fall help me to stay while you make me strong until the day that I'm ready, Lord, to receive What you have for me, help me to wait God, I do not want, sing this with me now God, I do not want a blessing That I am not ready for Cause I've seen the masses I make A million times before But you have something better Every single time And you will see me through this Till you make it mine Help me to wait And not to fall Help me to stay While you make me strong until the day That I'm ready, Lord, to receive What you have for me, help me to wait All right, y'all, bow your heads, let's pray. Lord Jesus, every single one of us gets lonely. The the biggest, toughest, strongest person in this room gets lonely. Uh, And Lord, we know you understand. We know you get that. We need your strength, Lord, not just to not give in to temptation in that moment. We need your strength to keep walking.